Let's see what's under the hood of today's guest. Ultimately, we're about influencing a more balanced, more inclusive technology workforce, something that better represents the wider population. But we recognize that there are many awesome and committed people and programs and organizations that are already working in and around diversity in tech. Welcome to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, the podcast devoted to developer marketing, relations, evangelism, and advocacy. I'm Stathis Gerakopoulos, and I'm your host. In each episode, I welcome a guest from the developer marketing world. We talk about best practices, challenges, lessons learned, and share insights, data, and experiences to help you boost your devrel game, talk to, and engage with developers. This podcast is brought to you by Slash Data, the leading analyst of the developer economy, and devrelx.com, a hub devoted to providing resources for developer marketing professionals, including developer ecosystem trends, news and job openings, webinars, a book, and a bi-weekly digest you can subscribe to. Access them all at devrelx.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the sixth episode of Under the Hood of Developer Marketing Season 3. Hope you enjoyed our last three episodes, which were part of our Master Tip series, and I uh, hope you found the insights shared during the Future Developer Summit panels interesting and even better helpful. Before we welcome today's guest, I want to let you know that we have only recently published the State of Developer Nation report. It's free to download and gives you access to the latest insight from 17,000 developers from 159 countries who responded to our latest survey wave. It addresses topics such as DevOps, how has COVID-19 affected developer needs, emerging technologies, how developers choose cloud platforms, open source, and an update on programming language communities. You can download it at slashdata.co under free resources. Without further ado, uh, let me welcome today's guest, which is Claire Barrett, who is the director at API First Consulting and the global leader of the Women in APIs. Claire, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stathis. I'm delighted to be here this afternoon. We're very happy to have you with us. I know our team is always excited when they get the chance to speak with you. So uh, will you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, thank you. I, my name is Claire Barrett. I'm director at APIs First Consulting, where we help organizations and people realize the full potential of APIs. And also lead a Global Women in APIs initiative uh, in a voluntary capacity which is the initiative is about broadening the talent, diversity and opportunities for people in and around tech conferences and industry publications in the API space. And uh, delighted to have an opportunity to share some of our stories with you this afternoon. Yeah, looking forward to those stories. A lot of API first into the title. So how did you end up in uh, your current roles? Was there a driving force or maybe a role model that led you to where you are today? Yes, I guess, as with many many of these sorts of situations, it, it wasn't perhaps a uh, uh, something that I necessarily planned to be, do, you know, would have thought that I would have been doing this time last year. But I had the opportunity to join a couple of lunchtime sessions that were run at API Days conference events last year when the events were physical. Um, so in London and Paris at the end of 2019, the team there were running a Women in API Days lunch conversation. And I was fortunate enough to, to join each of those sessions and could see that there was some real interest and opportunity in um, broadening out the conversation of how more women could be involved in, in conferences such as that, which tend to be very male dominated. And the team that were running it were looking at some plans for 
what they were thinking of doing to to expand further from 2020. And um, I was fortunate enough to to get to work with them and start thinking about uh, how to kind of take the take the idea and, and expand it. One of the team members there, uh, she was moving into a, a new role, so I kind of picked up the baton from her. And uh, um, with my my colleague Uri, we have been working um, and expanding over this year into a series of different initiatives. I guess the driving force behind it has been from experiences that I that I brought from having moved back to Europe from being overseas, uh, most recently in Australia in Melbourne, where over probably the last 12 years or so, um, I had been getting increasingly involved in women in tech-related activities and events. This was kind of a series of things that started probably just maybe I had a little bit of interest, but I started getting invitations to events to um, really bring to life the opportunity for more female leadership in and around business generally, but the impact on organizations by having greater gender um, diversity in the workforce and how that had kind of commercial, social and, and employee engagement impacts more broadly. And I could start seeing that coming to life day to day, the work that I was doing. And over time, over those few years, I started firstly kind of, I guess, in being involved in participating, listening, and then over time actually leading initiatives that made a, that made a difference um, either to individuals or groups of people in and around the women in tech agenda. So I worked on focus groups, conversations, um, set up and ran and then expanded out a program to get high school girls involved in tech through work immersion. I was involved in quite a lot of voluntary activities, outside work, networking groups. All of these things helped kind of build a conversation, build strength and confidence, I guess, in actually being able to make a difference. That kind of experience was what helped me uh, start thinking about what we could do it, be doing in the API world, which happens to be a global community. And so um, we've been setting up programs to encourage women to participate in conferences through speaking, small format, peer coaching circles. We have been running networking events. We've been profiling and supporting women speaking, at writing in public. Yeah, these have all sort of kind of come together to uh, what's been a really interesting 12 months. That's great to hear. And um, what I think it's even better than it. You mentioned that uh, you want to start the talks, but it's more than that. Even if it's uh, just taking a person at a time. I know it was in the API Days event. You had a roundtable, I think, and you shared some real-life success stories of how your work and um, your coaching program, for example, really helped someone you know, move forward with their career. So you mentioned talks, but uh, it's really more than talks, and it's actually helping people. So uh, for me, this is a, a great cause. Yeah, and I think for any of us that are involved, what actually gets us involved and, and keeps us involved is this idea that we're helping each other. Uh, we're building a really um, strong community of people who are, it's like we're each other's cheer squad. <laughs> I, I, I just, <laughs> yeah, I it's just, needed sometimes. Even just a cheer squad, it made sound, uh, made sounds, you know, a bit, not much, much, but it actually can be huge, have a huge impact on someone. It's huge. And it's even more so under COVID 
because we're all disconnected in a way. And what we're actually doing through this network is providing connection at times that many of us really need it. And so having someone being the cheer squad while you're uh, getting ready to prepare for a, for a talk or, a, you know, you're publishing something on, on LinkedIn, to just know that there are um, other people there who are cheering you on and you know, congratulating you or supporting you just before you come on stage or whatever. It's fantastic. It's really, uh, really reassuring. It can make, definitely make a huge difference. So Claire, what is a habit that you picked up in your childhood, but you still carry to work life today? I love that question. <laughs> I'm not sure anybody's ever asked me that before either, or that I've seen it. I, I'm going to steal it though. I think it's, uh, <laughs> as well, a, as, you know, feel free, <laughs> feel free to steal it. I, Before we started recording the episode, you mentioned that we are focused on what people do, you know, especially in our, your work titles, uh, not who they really are. And I believe that questions like this one can really tell you more about who the person is and kind of ties everything together with what they do. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely question. And um, my thinking is a habit that I've picked up, I don't know if it's a habit really, but, but maybe it's a behavior, is... I don't think twice about putting my hand up for things. The reason that I think situations in my childhood led me to make that either a habit or a behavior, which I hear from other people they find kind of difficult to do sometimes. They're, either they're a bit held back, they're a bit nervous, or, or they, they can find lots of excuses not to, to get out of their comfort zones and take on something that might be a bit bolder or different. I think there's two reasons which we're not under my control at all. The first was that uh, when I was a child, particularly during my primary school, I moved around a lot um, with home. So my, uh, my father was in the military and it happened that his, uh, his roles moved both cities, countries as well. And so I was invariably kind of the new kid at school. Um, I think I even changed primary school something like five times. It was <laughs> not through my parents' planning, um, somewhat by accident, But it meant that I was kind of always, uh, I got very used to, if you like, being, you know, having to introduce myself, sometimes even arriving in the middle of the term. It, it, I guess it required a, just a sense of, of resilience or, or a sense of not being upset by a new environment. The second thing I think why I always put my hand up for things is my surname. Um, it begins with BA very early in the alphabet. And particularly during my secondary schooling, for some reason, an awful lot of the things that we did were always organized by the, the class's surname. And so I was always, I don't know, let's say I was about the second or third out of a class of, you know, 30 or something, 25, who would need to, to do whatever it was that was the new thing to do, to take up, to put, you know. So if you were voluntold rather than volunteered to do something, having a surname that's early in the alphabet <laughs> forces you to um, step out of your comfort zone. And quite often, taking the first person's idea and then having the opportunity to move it forward, which I think is actually a lot of what I do in my work. I may not always come up with the wildest of ideas, but I do find myself often um, helping craft those ideas, shape those ideas and move them to, to somewhere where, where everybody else can kind of connect and understand. So I spend a lot of my consulting related work in helping shape complex programs into you know things that make forward that people can move forward quickly that connect to strategy because I can draw connections between those yeah I think that's definitely a very good habit to to have picked up you know especially you know in the 
latter thing you mentioned uh, it saves a lot of people from those awkward silences when everyone's you know trying to start the discussion especially in brainstorming sessions um, but it's i think we need more people you know to to raise their hand and have their say early on and so i think it's a great habit and it's great that you mention it it will really fit with the topics we have uh, for today But before we jump to today's topics, our episode followers are familiar with the next section, if this is the first time you're uh, hearing it. This next section is called Let's Talk Data. So, Claire, will you please pick a graph from devrelex.com slash trends and tell us why that graph stands out to you? Yeah, thank you. I've chosen um, how developer and marketing experts segment their audience. This graph um, stood out for me. If you like, in terms of it actually kind of made me a bit more curious about developer marketing and uh, relations expert. I was firstly curious that if this sample set are people whose primary role is understanding and recognizing the opportunity for developers, it was interesting that what probably I'm guessing four out of that group, 8%, doesn't segment its development community at all. I thought that was kind of surprised it was even as high as that. But I was also interested in the in the segmentation that was um, was shown here because it felt to me that there was an opportunity to explore some of these. So, so while obviously the um, I think what sixty percent and fifty two is the top couple of categories are quite what I would consider quite binary segmentation types of ways of thinking about things. I was curious from a more of a balanced or inclusive way of perhaps putting over this data would be to ask people how they segment based on behaviors, which kind of came down a little bit towards the bottom. So some people use developer motivations and goals as a way of segmenting. But I was thinking that something like geography implies perhaps the geography that I'm guessing the developers are physically working at. Yeah, exactly. Um, location. Their location, which, and, and maybe I've got a little bit of a more um, Australian flavor over this, but, you know, my experience when I look at a, an engineering team um, or a IT, you know, development community, they represent such an amazing culturally ethnic diverse group, typically, that even if they're physically located in one geography, I'm actually more interested about the geography that they might identify with as being a way in which that might actually influence their thinking and their training and their skills and, and, and so on. So to gender I see is there is, is, is uh, an example that people use, but it, it doesn't appear to be uh, something that's terribly um, used as, as, as one of the more popular choices. Age and experience is really interesting. You know, if you're looking to attract and interest uh, developers, I would have thought that something like age would be quite a material, materially significant way of understanding uh, how they think and behave because it's going to reflect on what sorts of maybe languages and, and um, development standards and practices that they started without in their career, what they've, what they've learned and absorbed over time versus, you know, the currency. I mean, I think the technology, technology industry is a really interesting one for potential age bias is not something that we talk about. We talk a lot about potential gender bias or lack of bias or cultural you know um, significance and other socio-demographic things but but age doesn't seem to often be one and, and clearly it's not considered as at the moment as, as very important so so I was kind of yeah I, I found this interesting 
but it asked a bunch it left a bunch of questions for me about how people might think more about the development community in terms of who those people are what motivates behaviors they have as distinct from uh, what might be a traditional way of classifying them uh, and based on target industry I thought that, I mean yeah I don't know how uh, why people would 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 go for that as a way of segmenting the people um, but yeah or at least why it would be the most popular yeah I totally agree there and um, you know this is part of our developer program leader survey which um, addresses people in developer marketing and uh, developer relations roles uh, especially when it comes to building strategies so this was also something you know that was very interesting to us I'm sure you know Christina Voskoglu, who is our Senior Director of Research. She's part of uh, Women in MPIs. And, uh, yeah, we did a, yeah, we did a webinar on, on this. And um, I totally agree with what you're saying. And she agrees too that even though these are what people choose to segment by, doesn't mean that this is the correct or even, I, I, will, I will not say correct, but it's not the best way to do so, for example, especially uh, because you you mentioned the geography, uh, we're in a, in an online world, especially in 2020, things that were not online now are, and everyone's connected. So I cannot see how uh, a geography focused segmentation could could make such a difference. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And um, I I do know um, Christina, who yeah, as a, as a call out, has been a fantastic. Uh, um, supporter and coach and participant in uh, Women in API Days programs and activities, um, and I know that she also is uh, is is deeply curious about some of these uh, these other perspectives. I think geography is becoming less and less. You know, uh, COVID has accelerated the global opportunity uh, presented through borders, really being I think designed more by time zones than they are any more about by by country or geography, physical geography. Yeah, exactly. We we mentioned women in APIs a couple of times now, and um, what is it that you love most about your work with women in APIs? Oh, undoubtedly, it has to be the connections that I've uh, had the privilege of making uh, during this time. Uh, this this feeling of connectedness. Uh, you know, there, I, I now have a group of people in my professional and, and friendship network uh, who I've never met in person, but that. Uh, I know are just a Slack or an email or a WhatsApp um, or a phone call or a video chat away, um, and I feel like I un- understand and get to, uh, you know know them, and um, I know that I can ask for their support, and I know that they can hopefully likewise um, work with uh, me and the people that um, I can introduce them to, and so on to build something I guess bigger than than we are as individuals. I, uh, I, I we all share I guess a common passion and interest in in making a difference for other women uh, and, and people that we know in, our, in and around our, our work environment, um, the opportunity for, for people to, you know, take the step, of, um, have, have a bit more confidence with um, building and, and supporting and promoting their profiles uh, individually and collectively. Yeah, um, and it's great, you know, and I know that uh, they will continue to, to come up with great ideas for, for programs and, and activities, which they which are all just bubbling up now from these uh, this this lovely global community of people, uh, I think you just described the essence of community and uh, how rewarding it can be for a person, given that it's much more than a person. Uh, I don't know if this makes sense, but the mm. idea is that uh, it's something that transcends the one, and uh, you see 
people working together for a common cause and can do great things together. Yeah. I think um, the other the other thing that seems to be to coming through, which I which I really love, is while we probably don't have kind of, you know, really big grand plans for um, making vast numbers of people's lives different over a vast amount of time, we do feel that we um, are making, you know, a meaningful impact in potentially initially a smallish community, but we'd like to see that it becomes a bit of a, someone described it as a bit of a pyramid <laughs> process um, whereby, uh, you know, we can we can involve a small number, small group space and then one of those people can go and set up their own group um, uh, and they can propagate and um, uh, build up their own ideas. And I really like that sense of not having to necessarily be too madly, um, wildly ambitious, but just be really practical and pragmatic and and, and use the power of storytelling and uh, and each other's enthusiasm to to keep kind of little seeds growing and uh, um, and percolating into into opportunities. And we're already seeing a lot more women from our community being confident. You know, new people coming and speaking for the first time uh, at conferences. You no know, people, you know, I think attending more as well, recognizing that they can go and amplify each other's stories through different different means. Yeah, yeah, that's. That's great. You're leading this effort. Probably, you know, this old habit of raising your hands first. <laughs> uh, this led you to leading the, you know, the global efforts of um, women in APIs. So what are your strategic priorities in this role? Yeah, I guess ultimately we're about influencing a more balanced, more inclusive technology workforce, something that better represents the wider population. But we recognise that there are many awesome and committed people and programs and organisations that are already working in and around diversity in tech types of or inclusiveness and in tech types of initiatives. Um, they can be part of organisations' own agenda, you know, own DNI programs and agendas. They can be people who are working within their own, you know, local communities and meetups, etc. And so what we've tried to double down on is focusing in a, in a specific slither, if you like, in that, in that big space. And what we'd like to see is changing is, is kind of the questions we get. So there are people who, you know, in, for very reasonable reasons, will ask um, questions like, how can we uh, have a more balanced lineup in our speaker panel at the next tech conference that we're running and they might be looking to 50-50 on gender and and on other ethnic and so on culturally diverse lines that is a, a reasonable question but we'd rather move it to a series of other questions um, we would like to ask how ca- how can people increase participation in conferences as a whole so not just speakers but moderators panel members attendees so if we've got 50-50 speaker lineup and we don't have a similar 50-50 participation in people attending, where, is, where, where are we going to have speakers in the future who've going to have been to enough conferences uh, as they've been building up to actually feel confident to have listened and participated? We want to change questions to things like, how can we support new contributors at conferences and, 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 and in writing um, vehicles as well to broaden the pipeline of people who can showcase their and their, ta- their team's talents? How can we give them confidence to not just be seen to be perhaps, you know, um, putting themselves forward in, in, 
in a look at me kind of style, but actually being there representing other people that they work with, which is often something that um, some people uh, are more confident with. Um, we want to change the questions to things about how can we create a more engaging and inclusive experience for people participating in conferences? Can we, now that we're in a world of remote, that we actually make it easier for, for people to, to, to attend a conference? You know, if they don't have to leave the house for two or three days, if they're a primary carer with um, maybe a young family or an elderly parents or um, supporting a partner in, um, in, in running the household, does actually being able to dial in from home uh, mean that we are increasing the access, you know, to, to thought leadership, you know, uh, latest trends and interests? Or are we perhaps making it less inclusive because people uh, um, find it difficult to access from home for a whole bunch of other reasons because they're homeschooling kids and they're uh, sharing a place with many others? We, we don't know that yet, but we, we do think that um, our hypothesis is that this uh, more remote world and this more online world creates greater access for more people to more things in, in, in ways in which they can um, access, particularly, let's say, from countries where, um, or companies where the cost of flying someone you know, interstate, overseas, um, to get the latest information, they can now do that from home. That should be, should be good. But how do we ensure that that actually is reflected in um, as balanced um, a perspective and participation as possible? So those are the, the we would like to change questions. Probably a rather long answer to your <laughs> very simple question. <laughs> no, no, it's it's a great answer, and you actually that some points already that uh, are for my next question. So, do we need a more diverse API community? I think the IP API community is already hugely diverse in terms of uh, the industries and types of organisations uh, that um, have API dedicated teams and, and, uh, and professionals, given organizations that are um, startups, obviously, highly um, dependent, if they're, they're tech companies, if they're mature companies that are looking to leverage APIs as ways of you know, realizing new business models or simplifying technology architecture, uh, developing APIs as products, all of those types of organizations, um, let alone obviously the freelance and, and contractor community that is that is supporting many of them and, and helping them come up with creators. The solutions, those businesses also require roles that are hugely diverse in and around um, APIs. So API product management teams um, have you know, a lot of commercial business acumen. Uh, they have um, a lot of uh, opportunity to understand strategies and look up you know look for for new models and new ways of working you've got clearly a lot of technology specialists from api development and ops and uh, testing and uh, support teams through to designers and architects you've got developer experience uh, specialists who um uh, you've got design so you've got like a whole suite of different types of skills and and actually the starting frame for how people have got into the API world uh, hasn't just come from, let's say, a traditional technical world. It may have come from UX into, you know, a little bit more DX documentation. It may have come from marketing into um, commercial and product management. It may have come uh, from, well, dev, dev relations may have come from, um, may not have necessarily come from pure development background. So you've got kind of a great diversity in skill set already. 
the question is, does that also play out in in gender, in in culture, in age, in variance, um, and those sorts of things? And I and I don't have the data. Christina and teams need to, I guess, be able to help us with some of that. But it seems to me that perhaps a little bit we're not, we're not as diverse as we should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great point when you mentioned that people come from uh, different backgrounds and not from the traditional developer, let's say, background. Which are the challenges for someone joining the API community? In, in many ways, there's probably uh, not so not so many challenges or barriers to entry. Um, apart from on the assumption that someone joining has got a curiosity to stay stay current, to um, get out there and and learn from others, and the the API community as a whole is 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 very accessible. Lots of people are able to um, are, are really willing and generous with with volunteering their time um, and supporting others others to come along. And you you only need to go to some of the um, the, the conferences, the meetups, the um, and see what's in the press to, to, to realize how generous people are with um, with sharing their knowledge. I, I think we shouldn't underestimate that native English language is potentially a an advantage, uh, and therefore um, uh, because it's such a fantastically international community, but it does use English as it as its as its language, and and I guess that's a tech thing overall. So for those people for whom English is, you know, it may not even be second language, it may be third or fourth in in, in some communities, uh, understanding and giving space uh, for people to be able to catch up with that because APIs themselves are a choir, you know, the contract, uh, the, the, the nature of language. You know, is it, I don't know if it's challenges or barriers, but it's kind of staying up to date. But really there are so many avenues that in many ways joining the API community, you know, can start from, uh, you know, it's a great place to actually reach into and broaden out or, or, or pivot one's skills. And in this era of uh, being future fit, of being able to um, continue, you know, commit to lifelong learning, uh, which we know is the, uh, you know, an ing core ingredient to staying relevant, staying adaptable, um, staying uh, ready to change. For people that are not in it, it's certainly a great opportunity to get started. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. And I think that the and fact that the fact you may, again um, coming back to the same thing that people come from different backgrounds and are able to to join shows that there uh, there are many ways, like you said, many avenues to follow. So, what can we do to encourage a more diverse audience to join this API community? Yeah, I think um, I mean it's probably you know more of a more of a traditional question about how to, how to encourage more more diversity into um, technology as a whole. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, this can come down to uh, recruiting differently, talking differently. You know, it, it goes all the way back to even things like, you know, school, getting uh, more people, boys and girls um, at school to be thinking about tech uh, um, and, you know, not just boys and girls, but people from all sorts of different minorities, um, having them understand and recognise the opportunity uh, because the statistics, at least some of the, the countries that I'm familiar with, are actually showing a reduction in people choosing STEM um, studies and STEM careers, uh, and the percentage of women, uh, girls, choosing to uh, you know to move into that is reducing as well. So I think we have to we have to work at it a whole different bunch of levels. Get more people into studying, get more people taking up studies at at different points in their careers to move into tech, and then when they're in the workforce, uh, giving them every opportunity to, to to help. And this a lot of this is about helping other people. Um, and helping people who uh, may have a different 
starting point and a different perspective and a different value set maybe than than oneself but going out and being curious about what people from from a different standpoint can actually help help you achieve collectively uh, and I think any of us who uh, you know we've had the opportunity to get people from from a different different space come and work with us it always gives a fresh view that we would never have thought of otherwise and we're always the richer for it yeah that's that's the best thing about diversity which increasing the the range i will say of uh, individuality gives you uh, fresh perspectives can actually drive change 100% i believe that so if we take now uh, a step back and look at the engineering teams behind the APIs. So how important would you say is balance and diversity within an engineering team? Of course, it's absolutely vital. Engineering call or engineering team calls for a balance of different skills in order to be able to um, create the best kind of solutions. You need people who are both creative as as, as well as people who are logical and you need people who Uh, you know, have have big ambitious thoughts and dreams and you need people who are going to execute with discipline. You have people, you know, in your team who need to be thinking ahead and planning and people who need to be acting now and and solving things. You need people who are, who are tuned to um, users and think new opportunities um, and you need people who are thinking about how the humans interact with the tech um, and how the tech interacts with the tech. You need teams who are going to solve problems that don't have hidden bias in them. And, and I mean, there's a lot of Uh, social commentary at the moment about how do we ensure that algorithms and uh, solutions and um, processes don't accidentally and very unintentionally build in some of the bias and thinking of the team that has created them. Well, if that team has a group of people who all look and sound um, sound the same and who've all perhaps come from the same um, socio-demographic group and uh, you know have been trained in a kind of similar way, There is, a, there is a risk that they will be blind to something that they don't know. This has been playing out in, obviously, in large, you know, organizations have been talking about how you know, senior leadership groups and boards not think um, with one way and, and, and how do they avoid uh, groupthink. I don't see that this is any difference in an engineering perspective. I mean, another thing that's important for engineering teams is engineering teams have to work with other teams and uh, getting stuff done Um, means working with other humans. So understanding the humanity is much easier, I think, if you have a more diverse perspective. I, I mean, the, the, the good the thing that I think is very positive about engineering teams and, and maybe through the API community is how most people are, are very naturally curious and it is very global um, and people are very used to um, connecting with people in other parts of the world um, to be able to solve problems. And I think that, that is inherently inherently good. It can be a very long list of all the good things that can come out from this balance and diversity within an engineering team. So how can team leaders encourage this? Uh, there are so many. Again, this is a really, really long list. And I think there are, are ways in which one can support kind of bigger macro things going on. Then there are some things that you can do, sort of very local, very small and micro. And, and then there's some stuff that you can kind of, Do and make things personal. Um, so there are either many large organizations, if you work for people who work in larger organizations or who have the opportunity to go to you know, events or, act or activities 
um, that are talking about balance and diversity. There's a way that people, you know, everybody has a team leader has, I was going to say they have the opportunity, I'd almost say it should be expected that they contribute into those those things in some way, or at least use it as a learning opportunity in order to be able to make things personal. Um, so uh, some people have, have um, through accident or through planning, have been involved in quite a lot of diversity-related um, discussions to help not just think about why it's important, but actually to create some action. Um, so they may have uh, been through some, some training, or they may have been invited to events where they've been able to think, or they may, they may have conversations at home. There are then actual small things that you can do on a day-to-day basis that you don't need a bigger program. You don't kind of even, I'd say, need permission to do, but that should be become the kind of the right thing to do at the right time. I mean, here's some practical ones. Most people, will, women, if you talk to them, um, if they work in, for example, an engineering or a technical team, will be able to give you examples. And it's not normally, you know, through their whole working career, they'll be able to say, oh, in the last week or last month, um, where they put forward an opinion in a meeting, for example, and it was not heard until, you know, halfway through the meeting when maybe a male colleague uh, put forward the same idea and everybody thought that was a great idea. Uh, Many times people don't even realise that it's happening until it's called out. Another example might be, uh, someone putting their hand up for, or, or an opportunity coming up for someone to, uh, let's say, you know, showcase, uh, run a showcase in their team, or go and, uh, you know, present what's what's going on outside, or or present the technical solution that's being delivered. Looking for uh, perhaps the quiet, you know, it could be a quieter member of the team, um, it could be uh, one of the women in the team, giving them the opportunity to to do that, but to do it in a safe and supported way. Um, so that they don't feel um, self-conscious um, that uh, that they can be supported. So give, give, giving people a chance to do something different and making it safe, not judgmental, so that uh, they can be comfortable feeling that it wasn't as good as they would like <laughs> um, and that that's okay. They're not going to be not given a second chance. Always making sure quieter people get heard in, in conversations. Backing the team. Uh, then there's, you know, practical things about... Uh, how you apply your recruitment, uh, how to change the kinds of criteria and things that you uh, feel are absolutely essential. You can you can even experiment with different ways of recruiting. So if you're looking for, I don't know if the audience has, has heard this, it's, it's a very commonly cited example in, in many gender discussions I've been in, that if a job opportunity is put up on a job board um, and there are 10 criteria, um, that are required for someone to apply, that a woman will only apply if um, she feels that she already can do all 10 of the things on the list, whereas a guy might look down the list and go, oh, well, yeah, I've done number two, done number five and six. Oh, I can wing the rest. I'm perfect. And um, we'll put their, put their resume forward. So actually encouraging women um, to apply, for example, internal jobs um, can be a really important way to help them recognise that they don't actually have to have necessarily already be doing all of those things that they actually have an opportunity to take up a role uh, um, and learn some of those those skills uh, in the job because they bring a whole lot of other fantastic experiences. Another one, of, of course, is to create uh, roles and, uh, and projects and activities that part-time uh, workers can do as well. Um, and this doesn't just apply 
necessarily for women, but but often on return from a career break, for example, women and actually uh, men as well um, can uh, benefit from having work structured around uh, part-time. Um, and that can often be about rethinking the role uh, or rethinking the job requirements as distinct from defaulting to, to full-time work. Again, I, I, I think COVID have accelerated a lot of this thinking um, for people, um, which is great in terms of uh, creating more flexible ways of work. So these are all, there, there are so many things. Um, but, you know, at a personal level, if it's not somewhere that you are already comfortable, uh, I would say treat it as a learning exercise. Stay curious, stay open-minded. Things can change one conversation at a time. Talk, talk to your colleagues, talk to family members, friends <laughs> about, about what it's like, you know, about what you can do. Many, many things. Yeah, perfect. That's uh, that's perfect. Thank you. You gave in just a few minutes, you know, so many examples and uh, so many things that uh, personally I've definitely witnessed them. And uh, I think I could even go as far as say that it's unacceptable in 2020 to have, you know, such things happening, especially uh, with the example, as you said, in the meeting room and an idea is voiced by a woman and then uh, it's no one actually notices until it's uh, said, for example, by a man. And there are so many things that we can do that it's only, you know, in our hands now to to increase this exclusivity and give room for uh, for more voices. All the good things that happen with diversity is giving the room uh, for people to be, to have their voice heard, to have their ideas heard. So why is it important to showcase individual and team talent at the essence it's it's about actually demonstrating to to the teams and to others the the value of their work that you know the the contribution they're making in in what they're doing is actually moving things forward um is uh showing their creativity their um their diligence their hard work um so You know, it's respectful. It's, it's um, it recognizes that what people are doing is good, isn't important. Uh, you know, at an individual individual level, um, it can provide confidence. Uh, it can help people uh, um, build their profile and their careers, and that can be internally in their own organizations or for some time. You know, as an investment in the future, uh, in terms of um, the opportunities that they may be able to grow into elsewhere. It helps people connect, I think, with something bigger than just themselves, uh, um, and helps them celebrate collectively. Uh, we've we've certainly found from the conversations that that we've had with with women who've maybe been uh, hesitant uh, about um, uh, about speaking uh, about being invited to speak. Um, they've often said, I, "I may not have nobody will be interested. You know, I may not have something of interest to people, um, but actually, everybody has a kind of unique." Uh, view and, and position, but when they're when they're actually invited to show what they what they um, what their team and their colleagues have done, they're often you know really comfortable to do that. It's kind of like a, you know, and I think there are certain cultures that are less individualistic, you know, that do celebrate the the effect of the, the team. So that's why I think it's important. Yeah, yeah, I agree a hundred percent. There, we mentioned it before. You know, I stand by it, and uh, <laughs> I will. Uh, you know say it again that i believe that you know all progress comes from diversity so how do you see 
APIs evolving in the future, especially assuming uh, more diverse teams, more diverse communities, and um, yeah. more inclusivity? Yeah, they, they, they are already everywhere. I, I know that uh, some of um, my friends at uh, API Days, for example, talk about uh, you know um, uh, the quotes that they use uh, of uh, software is eating the world and uh, um, APIs are eating software. Um, given that APIs are now becoming part of government implemented government policies and solutions, um, they're becoming part of organisations' ability to um, interact with each other, stay safe technically. They are already you know, such fundamental building blocks, um, perhaps not always uh, as well. I don't know necessarily that they have the same brand recognition as uh, in the uh, community beyond te- you know, tech. I don't believe they have the same brand recognition as cloud or AI, um, but they are still you know, as, as equally fundamental. And therefore, because they're being developed by such a wide community, they also have impact in a wide space. And uh, they need diverse, diverse groups to be able to step outside and, and look in and make sure that um, bias is not being unintentionally uh, coded or designed into things um, to make sure that um, they are as accessible um, to uh, as diverse a group as possible and that um, they are opening up new business models um, that are being done the right way for the right thing. One final question for you today. 2020 has been like the mo- one of the most challenging years um, we've had uh, lately, but it's mainly due to, to the COVID-19. So what are some difficulties you have faced due to COVID-19 and what are the opportunities? And um, I'm mostly focused here on you know, the, the professional life. I believe in personal life everyone's more or less <laughs> having the same issues. So um, I wanted to hear how it has affected you professionally. Yeah, sure. My professional and, and home have both been affected uh, in the same way in that I originally moved from Australia to, to Europe um, a year ago with the expectation, of course, that in the in the same way that when I was living in Australia, I could fairly regularly uh, you know, quite easily be able to um, travel to family and, and other connections overseas. I assumed that when I moved here, I would be able to do the same back to Australia. Um, uh, that's obviously not the case. Um, and so in a professional sense, because I have professional contacts over there, I would have expected to have been able to um, maintain those in a face-to-face basis. And so, but the opportunities that are presented um, by Zoom uh, and uh, all of the other um, video conferencing and the fact that everybody's remote has actually made it kind of easier than one ever would have expected. So, uh, and the opportunities presented by everybody working remote when I had been thinking that that's what I would start to do uh, as, you know, by no means the first person working remote, but certainly joining what was kind of more a minority and is now the majority. Uh, has actually been the timing has been amazing. So, uh, from a professional sense, you know the difficulties are, are considerably less than I would have ever thought, and the opportunities have have proven to be 
far, far greater. Silver linings, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and it's, you know, well, it, it yeah, goes back to... Yeah, much better than that, actually. If you have something that it's, okay, inherently bad, but at the end you see that it has created so many opportunities for to do, uh, give more people access to what you're doing and you accessing people, you know, to, to help them. I think despite the, the whole health issue, I think it's, it's actually helped us uh, move forward uh, after everything's back to normal. Uh, yes, I, I mean, I do, of course, uh, recognize the privilege that those of us in, in and around the IT world um, have over, over many other, you know, we, we, we're used to the tech, we're, um, you know, many of us have been um, uh, using it or familiar with it. And I've, I've learned heaps more myself of, of, um, of the people that I'm now working with, including um, my women in APIs, um, friends and community. But I, I, I do recognize, you know, appreciate that we are, we are as a community, as an IT uh, industry, um, are uh, you know are further advantaged than perhaps we were beforehand, um, and that uh, you know in these in this uh, this widening uh, gap of, of of inequality, uh, what we can be doing to be helping all of those who's who professionally, you know, ended up through you know by totally by unexpected circumstances and where they are. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I don't have an answer to that, but. Yeah. <laughs> Claire, many things you you mentioned, you know, um, I'd say spoke to me personal level, you know, and I can totally understand and uh, uh, agree 100%. I think I I mentioned it quite a few times uh, as a response to what you were saying. So if someone wants to hear more from you, how can they read you? So I'd uh, invite them to uh, uh, look me up on LinkedIn, uh, Claire Barrett. Claire-Global is my LinkedIn end name, APIs First. They can email APIs First as well. Uh, if uh, somebody would like to join or even just find out more about the Women in APIs community, they go to apidays.co uh, and look at the initiatives page. Um, uh, there, there's a Women in APIs uh, space. Um, so API Days are our supporters and uh, um, uh, uh, sponsor the program. Um, and uh, we'd be delighted uh, to, to tell you more about what we do and what events we've got coming up. Um, and uh, I've you know, always always delighted to introduce anyone to um, other others of the amazing um, people uh, that, that we're working with so. mm-hmm. yeah that's great and uh, I too uh, encourage everyone to to go to the also the API days page and uh, there's an online event coming up uh, in Paris and we as slash data have been sponsoring the API days event uh, because we strongly believe in the good work and the high quality of talks and sessions that are happening there. So please go visit, uh, do find out more. And uh, if you can join the event, Claire, it's been great having you today. Thank you f- so much for taking the time to, to come to the podcast and talk about what I think uh, such an important issue. So thank you very much. It's been great having you. Thank you, Stathis. It's been a delight. And thank you to our listeners for listening to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, the podcast devoted to developer marketing and relations. You can listen to all episodes, find free resources and the latest news at devrelex.com. You can also subscribe to our bite-sized bi-weekly digest or follow us on Twitter at slash data HQ. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Stathis. Uh, it's been an absolute honor. It's been great having you, Claire. <laughs>